0: Jim Thorpe, (laughs) on his way over there, uh, they had to float on a boat, right? It's 1912. That's the same year that the Titanic sank, actually, I believe. I think it was 1912. Anyway, 1912, he goes over there with his team, and they're floating across the Atlantic. And during that time, um, the team is preparing. They're running laps around the ship, and they're trying to do things to keep themselves uh, in shape. And uh, if you read this book, this guy says... This guy says that, well, uh, the rest of the team, they did all that, you know, calisthenics and working out on the ship. But this guy, no, he just sat around in a hammock all the time and he didn't do anything. And then he goes over there and he wins all these events, you know. And, um, well, you know, I take issue with that. You know, it seems like this guy was embellishing and telling not a truth because it it was propagating a myth. A myth that said that uh, the individual who is a Native American is lazy, okay. That's the myth that this guy was pushing forward through the American society. You know, he was writing for his audience. He wasn't writing the truth, okay? But the truth is, and there's a picture, uh, he, Jim Thorpe, was actually working out with everybody, and he was leading them in calisthenics, okay? He was keeping everybody going and preparing them for the Olympics, and when he got there, he did a great job, like, uh, like he did. He, he won both of those events. When he was being given his his trophies and his medals. The king of Sweden, okay, this was in Stockholm, the Olympics in Stockholm, Sweden. The king of Sweden uh, tells him, he says, you are the world's greatest athlete, and he gives him his award. And uh, Jim Thorpe, being a man of few words, he says, thanks, king. Hey, That's- America, it's J.D. Collier. This is the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast, and today I will be bringing you uh, the Haas, Jim Thorpe from the town of Jim Thorpe Pennsylvania and uh, we will be going over the eagle attribute of sacrifice so let's tune in to the Eagle Hoss and Hound podcast this is the Eagle Hoss and Hound podcast welcome created by Eagle Impact and Johnny Tilt Productions this podcast honors and respects the service veterans and spouses the social integrity heroes of our past and the common American mutt that's right you With this podcast, we provide a platform for respect. We respect the eagle, that is, the individual with a service background, the sworn hero from the uniform who has risked it all for our protection. Plus, we respect and honor the hoss, that is, the social integrity leader from our past, such as Franklin, Ulysses, Lincoln, and others from our American history. Finally, we respect you, the hound, as we discuss the topics of the day, listening and learning together to improve our work, home, and family. Each week we will bring you value oh, in the work, form work. of knowledge and perspective just like you've oh, heard we're all in this together so get ready for another oh, excellent work, show it's the Eagle hoss and hound podcast okay here on Veterans Day in Jim Thorpe Pennsylvania I come across uh, right by the county of carbon's courthouse here a memorial it says on fame's eternal camping ground their silent tents are spread and glory guards with solemn round the bivouac of the dead this is jim thorpe pennsylvania a quaint town very much a tourist attraction in the pocono mountains named after jim thorpe in 1954 what's funny though is jim thorpe never stepped foot in this town check out this scene Looks like we got a skeleton playing piano right there. A bunch of other party goers here having a good old time. (laughs) This dude's riding a bike. One thing I noticed about this area here in Pennsylvania, it used to be heavily in the mining industry. And this Molly Maguires organization uh, was to protect those mine workers and apparently four of them lost their lives being hanged here, right here in this location back in the late 1800s. Okay, today I'm gonna to talk about wild wife number three. Wild wife number three. No, not me, I'm still married to wild wife number one. I'm talking about Jim Thorpe. Jim Thorpe, he had three wives and his third wife Patsy Uh, She After he passed away She made it so that they named a town after her late husband here in Pennsylvania She was able to figure out a way to get the town of mock chunk and uh, East mock chunk to uh, Change their name to Jim Thorpe to honor her husband. How about that? What a feat, huh? So uh, here I am in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania interestingly, uh, he never did step foot in this town um, but this town is a tourist attraction town in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania, uh, only about you know 30, 40 minutes north of Allentown, and uh, I, I guess I should say it's about an hour and a half north of Philadelphia. So uh, give you some bearings on that, and maybe about an hour and a half from New York City. Here in the quaint Pocono Mountains. Um, there's a lot of things going on in this town. It's a very heavily touristy town, uh, bed and breakfasts are here, quaint shops, all kinds of gift shops and book shops and little restaurants, coffee shops, ice cream parlors. Uh, there's several museums here and uh, even they have a big opera house that they call Mock Chunk, which has been here for quite a long time. So uh, mentioning the dining places, here's one right here by this opera house. I guess they call it uh, Marion Hose Bar. See that? Marion Hose Bar. That is the opera house that I just mentioned called uh, the Mock Chunk Opera House. It looks like it was in operation since 1881. Pretty cool. As I mentioned, here in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, there's a lot of history. Uh, There are museums that talk about the times when this town was a bustling mining community. Um, Railroads came through here. And uh, you know it eventually became kind of a touristy place and I think that's why wild wife number three Patsy Thorpe decided to come over here and and name her husband's namesake in this town uh, because she wanted people to basically get to know him uh, and immortalize him through the years um, because this is a place where a lot of people come to tour maybe she thought it was better that his body was was here in uh, Pennsylvania which is close to a lot of population center because it happened in 1954 but uh, his family was more more inclined to have him buried in Oklahoma where he grew up okay that was a loud sound that was a tour bus going by Uh, it's of course it's uh, Veterans Day today is the 11th of November and uh, the the fall is here all the leaves, I'm probably crunching on some leaves. You might even hear me stepping on them. And uh, people are out touring. It's nice. Uh, some people have off today, um, And that's a good thing. So I also got to enjoy a freebie as a veteran. I got to go to a food truck that was handing out food for free to uh, anyone who was a veteran. I gave them a nice tip, and I appreciated that. So uh, that was a good lunch. Hopefully uh, those other veterans out there are able to find uh, some kind of Token of appreciation and and enjoy it. Uh, I remember when I was still in in, in uniform. I didn't really think of myself as a veteran at the time. I was like, well, one of these days I'm going to be a veteran. You know, when I get out, I'll be a veteran. And wonder what that's going to be like. And well, I think it's pretty cool, actually. Uh, Personally, I think uh, most most people that you run into are uh, pro veteran. I think. And uh, (laughs) okay, that was a pretty loud sound too that was uh that was a concrete truck so yeah they do construction around here too anyway um here in uh, this quaint town i am i went to a bookstore to try to find a book on uh on jim thorpe and they had two books but they didn't have the one i was looking for so i'm gonna keep looking i'm uh, looking for a book that was called native american Sun. okay So once I can find that book, I think I'm going to read it. I understand someone from uh, Jim's family highly recommends that book because it tells the story pretty well. Um, Some of the other research I did, the the biographies, they they tend to uh, overemphasize or embellish or just plain lie (laughs) about stuff. And I'll go into that a little bit further. I want to finish this tour. Okay, here in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, right here by the railroad trestle. You can see there's lots of tracks here. Used to be a heavily mining a mining community, as I was saying, and a, a switchback for uh, the railroad coming through here. I think it was the, the second railroad built in America. Um, so you can see how far it goes back into the early 1800s. Um, yeah, so this is now a quaint village uh, it's actually the county seat for Carbon County in Pennsylvania. Uh, many, many uh, people come here. Uh, probably thousands and thousands of people come here every year for tourism to, uh, you know, see some, see some pretty neat stuff here in the Pocono Mountains. And that's why I'm filming for you. At this time of day, you can see all the trees up on that hill where the leaves are changing. And uh, it's the fall here. It's November. Uh, it's just beautiful here in uh, this part of Pennsylvania. Actually, all of Pennsylvania is beautiful this time of year. So if you ever come here, you can uh, book yourself a ride on this train. It's a scenic railroad, and uh, I've done it before, took my kids on it, and it really is incredible how it follows the Lehigh River for maybe about 20 miles and has incredible scenes with the trees and all that stuff. I believe I saw it in April, might be nice to see. So they have lots of walking trails and hiking trails, here in the Pocono Mountains, right alongside here, this is the, uh, the Lehigh River, and it's quite beautiful. In fact, I can hear some of the church chimes over there going on in, uh, in the town. The, my country tis of the sweet land of liberty. Yeah, one time I came out here with my kids and we did a a little cleanup job. It looks like it needs needs to be done again uh, here right along the Lehigh River in uh, Jim Thorpe. And I believe that was at, it might have been, yeah, I said it was April. It was April and it was uh, on the occasion of Earth Day. So uh, we made a nice day of it. It was a cleanup event followed by a choo-choo train ride here in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. So wishing you a happy Veterans Day uh i am carrying on the podcast back at home uh finished going up to jim thorpe and doing a little bit of recording but my phone battery ran out so (laughs) you go figure you know um i thought i would do a little bit more but i didn't i uh got to see a little bit there nice to see uh music i get a quick museum tour some of the quaint shops um but anyway I, I didn't have enough time to speak about uh, the veteran, and I, I want to wish all of those out there who are serving and who have served a uh, happy Veterans Day. Uh, I want to thank you for your service and your sacrifice, um, not only you but those who are with you, uh, your family, your spouses, uh, everyone who is sacrificing um, for us, you know, for for here, these Americas, uh, pr- those who are protecting our way of life, those who are protecting the way of life of our of our. Uh, allies around the world um your presence uh is is very much appreciated okay even the shop owners around the world they can probably give a nod to you and tell you thank you for keeping them safe so they can carry on with their business and that's what we're all about we want we want the world to be safe so we can carry on with our business and uh, everyone is safe so uh thank you to the veteran thank you very much veteran families as well plus i I wanted to say thanks to all the companies that. uh, are are giving a nice, uh, you know, uh, a nice handout. I got a handout from Dunkin' Donuts today. I'll show you uh, a coffee. I I bought this coffee, but they gave me a free donut. So that was cool, you know, and I also had gone to uh, a a lunch. At lunch, I I went to a a food truck, (laughs) okay, the Sticky Pig, uh, here in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and they gave me a a free meal, and I, I appreciated that. I gave them a nice tip, so... Um, really appreciate somebody taking the time out of their out of their business and and, you know extending I think the nicest thing I like besides just eating the meal was just you know how friendly the staff was and and I appreciate how friendly people are in in saying thank you for your service and and wishing well and you know it's it's mostly about how uh, you act it's what you do it's not what you say Uh, I say that again and again you know you can read someone's body language a whole lot better than you can read what they're saying and um, you know I I do see so many people who appreciate uh, people who have served okay the veterans and uh, I I certainly uh, I can't say enough good about them I call you an eagle (laughs) you know the Eagle Haas and Hound podcast uh, Eagle impact the idea that anyone who has served us who has raised their right hand uh, given an oath and what it means is that you risk your life to do your job Uh, not many jobs are like that but uh, in the case of those who have served us uh, who have to live by that oath and and that code of conduct uh, you know I call you an eagle and you know it extends not only to Armed Forces law enforcement fire and rescue uh, but it also extends to the spouses because the spouses are serving with you Um, so again happy Veterans Day to all Um, now let's talk about real quick the uh, the sacrifice. Okay, I, I started talking about uh, you know Veterans Day, and I, I mentioned the spouse, and, and there's a special sacrifice there. Sacrifice is is an important part of service. You know, service and sacrifice. You know, they they kind of go, they, they they envelop the eagle. The, the, they, they they care for the eagle. The eagle it, 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 he he or she is that service and that sacrifice, and um, you know. When you are going overseas and you don't know if you're coming back, you don't know what your mission is going to be, uh, it's nice to have your spouse back uh, home taking care of everything for you. Someone you can trust, someone you love, someone who loves you back. And uh, that, that's a very important bond is having your spouse. And uh, they are sacrificing as you are sacrificing. You know, in the Navy, a lot of times it's a long deployment far overseas and you it's unaccompanied, of course. You have to be focused on the task. And uh, six seven months time sometimes even longer and again there's that sacrifice you're sacrificing that time in your life Uh, you're sacrificing time when you could be uh, gaining you know more education and experience in the private sector but you're doing that in a military means Um, sometimes you know the the service that you're doing doesn't translate right away to a, a civilian career so there's there's some some career rehabilitation that goes on not only for the Eagle in uniform but the Eagle spouse as well because you know the spouse has to sacrifice their life to follow you around and go from this tour to that tour and uh, it's hard to, to start up a career and keep that going it's just it's difficult it, some some are able to do it very well and that's great uh, especially nowadays with the internet and the ability to you know do distance, uh, distance services you know um, that's good but uh, there are many spouses who have to put their career on hold um, to go along with their their loved one who's in uniform. So uh, here's to the sacrifice and uh, the service of the Eagles out there. Chief Blackhawk was a powerful man. He was strong and fast on his feet. When he was still a young brave, he won the respect and admiration of his people as the best runner, the best jumper, the best wrestler, and the best swimmer of the tribe. This was the tribe of the Sack and Fox Indians. Many, many years before, the Sack Indians and the Fox Indians had been two separate peoples. They met somewhere near Green Bay in Wisconsin and joined forces to become a more powerful and dangerous tribe. Black Hawk became one of their greatest chiefs. He was only 15 years old when he gained recognition from the older Braves of the Fox and the Sack his bravery in battle. At 17, he was entrusted with his first serious mission and led a war party against the mighty Osage Indians, a rival tribe. It was in this foray that Black Hawk took his first scout. Two years later, when he was no more than 19, he led 200 of his people in a fight against 200 Cherokee Indians and covered himself with glory. Fully half of the Cherokee were left dead on the field of battle that day. He fought the white man too, but the white man was destined to conquer. Step by step, the Indians who opposed the coming of the pale face were pushed back. The Indians were no match for the arms and strength of the white people, but even in his last stand, Black Hawk was majestic. I'm reading to you from a book called The Jim Thorpe Story by a fellow named Gene sure s c h o o r gene Shure. uh this is actually written in the 50s like 1951 i believe is the copyright date of this book so it gives you a little perspective of when this book was written and um he is saying so much in here about the white people and there's other things that he says in here about how you know the white people were better than the than the indians and you know i'm i'm being a little bit um uh, skeptical okay um because you know at the time there was still a great amount of disparity in in race, race relations in our country where uh too many um uh too many of people who wore skin like this believed that they were superior than everybody else and uh that's what I want to I want to bring this about okay um that th- this writer yeah he might he might not uh, I may not agree with his style but He's pretty much saying the same kind of stuff that was being said or thought in the psyche of our country back then, okay? This is 1951, and he's writing about this guy um, who was a Native American, okay? We're talking about this Black Hawk was his grandfather, okay? So he was, uh, you know, a Native American, okay? And And that's something that, seems to be so surprising to everybody in the early 1900s that oh how could it be that somebody who's not uh the strong white people how could there be such a strong person who's not uh coming from europe okay how could there be a native american that is such a great athlete and it's you know the skepticism and the you know um there there were plenty of issues that came about that were related to the the supposed race of this fellow named jim thorpe uh, because he was considered Indian or Native American, I guess they called him Indian. basically the society was looking down upon him okay How could this guy you know like any other of these Indians, how could they be successful in what is the so-called white man's world okay? Um, you know I want to point out that Jim Thorpe uh, you know he had some amazing American stock, okay He was the immigrant mutt, okay Not only was, Native American blood running through him, but so was European blood. Okay, his father Hiram was half uh, Irish <laughs> and half Indian. Okay, half of uh, uh, what is it? Fox, fox and Sack and Fox Indian. Okay, so his his fa- his father's father was this chief that I'm talking about, Chief Blackhawk, Okay, and um, so Chief Blackhawk eventually had to you know lose or turn over and go on to the reservation it says here 1832 uh, he bowed down to to the superior strength of the younger and more vigorous white people who had moved into his land you know I think that's uh, it doesn't give it justice okay I wouldn't say that they're younger and more vigorous Um, they did have more technology they had more resources that's for sure and uh, that's that's what I think I think it was a war of attrition more than anything Um, but if you wanted to compare person to person, you know, on an equal playing level, if they, if it was just, a, you know, the Native American fighting without any kind of uh, tools or, or whatever with uh, his foe uh, at the time, the settler, you know, the, the European settler coming into these lands, I don't think the European settler would have had a chance <laughs> if it wasn't for their technology and guns and everything. Um, but, you know, this 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 whole attitude of America for many, many years, uh, for hundreds of years, even that the the people that came, the 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 immigrants who came from Europe, had some kind of an edge on everybody else, and that they were better than everybody else. They were better uh, according to the according to the, uh, the 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 societal pressures of the day. Uh, expecting that the, the, the Euros were better than the Afros and better than the Native Americans. Well, my, my contention is no, no, that's not true. That's a bunch of nonsense. I say we are the same, okay? We're the same immigrant mutt, okay? And um, so you can say that Jim Thorpe being the world's greatest athlete, he yeah, he was definitely Native American, but he was also Euro-American because his father was uh, his ha- half Irish and his mother, uh, she was one quarter French okay so uh, the rest of the rest of hers was na- Native American but so uh, his mother and father come together and to make this this uh, glorious child in fact there were twins he had a twin brother named Charlie um, who was you know their best pals all the way until Charlie passed away at the age of eight and, you know back in those days there were diseases that came along that you couldn't really explain a lot of times you get a fever and next thing you know you get pneumonia boom and then you don't make it, and unfortunately that happened. Um, another thing that terribly happened was uh, that that he lost his his mother and his father to uh, to water poisoning. Okay, the water was poisoned in some way. You know they were drawing it from the creek or whatever, and uh, the uh, you know the, the chemicals or whatever that was in the water there in Oklahoma it, it basically uh, didn't agree with his mother, and his mother died. And then uh, he I think he was 11 when that happened. And then, when his father passed away, uh, his father passed away when he was sixteen. So he becomes an orphan, and uh, during these times, you know, he at the age of sixteen, he goes up to uh, he goes up to Pennsylvania to Carlisle, Pennsylvania, to go to school. He had been going to school in Kansas, and um, you know, when when he uh, his when his father. Um, passed away he, he came he actually walked all the way from Kansas down to Oklahoma <laughs> he walked like 275 miles uh, you know and ran too so you know, Jim Thorpe what an incredible guy he decided to uh, at, you know when he got out when he he quit school for a while and he started working in the Texas Panhandle uh, breaking horses okay that's another reason why he got so strong his, his, you know, I just read about his grandfather being an athlete. His father was a notable athlete in his community there in Oklahoma, too. So his father could whoop every, every man around. And, you know, he was athletically stronger and, you know, just a beast of a man. A real hoss, okay? <laughs> so this is an athletic hoss, okay? He gives birth to a son. two. Well, these both of these guys, they were the same. They were twins. But then, of course, when Charlie passed away... You know, one of one of the things that that uh, <laughs> apparently one of the things that Jim thought is that well, my brother passed away, so he gave me his strength. So not only did he have the the brawn, brawny strength. Anyway, he believed <laughs> that he had double strength because of his brother, and that was another thing that made him, you know, I guess so ferocious on the field of football and other places was uh, was that belief. Okay, you know, one of the one of the eagle attributes I talk about is strength, and it's uh, faith beyond yourself. In this case. You know, he had faith that he had all, these, all this strength, you know, coming from his brother, basically. Um, but I'll have to say that he really adored his father. His father, uh, being a meanie towards uh, all the other community, they, they, were, they just steered clear of him because they were afraid of him because he was a badass, all right? Well, uh, his father, you know, really loved his son, and his son loved his father. They used to go hunting a lot, fishing. Um, you know, they would take care of the animals on the, on the ranch, okay? horses and things like that um and uh you know it, it was a good he had a good family and he and he uh, enjoyed his family life and he loved his family um and you know it, it it was pretty sad when he had to go away to college or go away to well it was college it was carlisle pennsylvania to what they called an indian school so back in those days too he went to to this indian school in the early 1900s like 1904 i think he showed up um and during that time, there were several schools that were segregated, all right, segregated for somebody's skin color. So he's going to the, the Indian school for people who, are, who have a certain skin color, you know, uh, maybe they call him the red man. They also had schools for African-Americans, okay. They would call them black schools, all right. They would have specific schools so that they could keep them separate, and teach them things, industrial-type things. And the school in Carlisle was called the Indian Industrial School so they could learn industrial-type trades. Um, I think uh, one of the things, uh, you know, I'm not sure I can believe everything in this book, though. (laughs) But one of the things that I understand was that he, um, Jim Thorpe told the school when he got there that he wants to become an electrician. Electrician. (laughs) He wants to become an electrician. And uh, they're like, well, how about painting? (laughs) you know um you know i laugh about it but it's really not cool because you know what kind of society believes that there, there that that people can only do certain things and doesn't doesn't let them follow their dream you know maybe he wanted to be an electrician yeah that'd be a little bit of training quite a bit of uh you know technical training um and you know the the idea was no we'll make sure that you can do some kind of a trade that is a uh, simpler, you know, something easier or whatever, like painting. Um, anyway, I'm going off track a little bit, but I want to say that this guy is a hoss not only for his athletic prowess, but because of who he was and, and what he did. And, and he, he was a man of few words, okay? Jim Thorpe wouldn't say very many words, but he was certainly a man of action, you know, um, on the football team, one of the stories that I like is that uh, the coach was trying him out when he first got out there. He was, you know, just running some drills during practice. And uh, one of these drills, the coach set up a, he set up a gauntlet of, of players all the way down the middle of the field. And uh, on either side, they're all linemen and, you know, they're all defensive. And, and uh, he says, all right, the drill is you are going to hold the ball and you're going to run all the way through them as long as you can before you get tackled um and so jim thorpe says okay he grabs the ball and he's like are you ready and and jim says ready and off he goes so jim runs through the gauntlet of people and he's he's dodging them and they're falling down and they're trying to tackle him and he's not letting them tackle him he's getting away and he's he's just going all the way through them and he's stiff arming them and he just just goes all the way through the whole gauntlet of people and guess what the coach is mad. <laughs> He's like, what? You're mad? He's like, this is a tackling drill. <laughs> so I guess he was supposed to let himself get tackled. He's like, let's try that again. So he goes from the other end of the field, and he, everybody's lined up in the gauntlet again. Go. And he runs through all of these guys and just runs them through, knocks them down, goes over them, goes around them, makes them dodge and fall. And then boom, all the way to the touchdown again. And uh, the coach is just basically shaking his head. But what he did was he discovered the running skill of this guy named Jim Thorpe. So uh, he becomes a running back <laughs> instead of just a regular lineman or a tackle or something like that. He becomes a running back and a darn good one. Um, this book actually opens up to talk about how the Carlisle Indian School was playing West Point, okay? And the star, one of the stars on West Point, was this fellow named Dwight D. Eisenhower, okay? I've mentioned him before, Dwight Eisenhower, who uh, becomes the Supreme Allied commander and winning World War II, defeating the Nazis. Uh, you know he becomes uh, you know the, the president of the United States, <laughs> Dwight D. Eisenhower. But uh, Dwight Eisenhower, he remembered this guy, Jim Thorpe, because Jim Thorpe whooped him on the football field. <laughs> um, you know he tried to tackle him, but he just couldn't be tackled. and, and this uh, Jim Thorpe fellow. Another story about the football field is uh, when Jim was already past uh, his college career and into his professional career, he was being paid to play football in Ohio. Uh, he played on the Canton Bulldogs, and uh, they were playing Maslin, I believe, which is a town close to Canton in Ohio. But they're playing, and uh, one, of the, one of the guys on uh, the other team, the opposing team, uh, he tackles him. <laughs> he tackles Jim Thorpe, and he was a pretty good player tackles jim thorpe and jim jim thorpe gets up and he tells him he's like um people come to this game to watch jim thorpe run and score <laughs> you don't you don't need to be tackling me he was telling him that and uh <laughs> well that guy wasn't going to take that he was he's, he tried his best to tackling him on the next time but this time jim thorpe just plowed right through the guy knocked him down hit him in his in his head with his knee and kept on going and and jim thorpe got a touchdown <laughs> um, so but you know he was a man of few words another thing that Jim did is uh, very he's very famous for uh, the the 1912 Olympics in the 1912 Olympics you know he was still at Carlisle and uh, at Carlisle he had played football he played some other sports uh, baseball uh, a little bit of basketball the coach Pop Warner was his coach uh, said, yeah, let's do some track, and he noticed that there was a lot of things he could do in track, too. Like, wow, this guy can do a lot of stuff. So he, Pop Warner, recommended him for the Olympics team because of all the things that he could do. And uh, he competed in the Olympics in the decathlon and the pentathlon. So the pentathlon is five events in one day. The decathlon is ten events in one day, uh, including all kinds of things, you know, track and field running, high jumping hurdles, uh, discus, you know, shot put, all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, Jim Thorpe, (laughs) on his way over there, uh, they had to float on a boat, right? It's 1912. That's the same year that the Titanic sank, sank actually, I believe. I think it was 1912. Anyway, 1912, he goes over there with his team, and they're floating across the Atlantic. And during that time, um, the team is preparing, they're running laps around the ship, and they're trying to do things to keep themselves uh, in shape. And uh, if you read this book, this guy says this guy says that well uh the rest of the team they did all that you know calisthenics and working out on the ship but this guy no he just sat around in a hammock all the time and he didn't do anything and then he goes over there and he wins all these events you know and um well you know i take issue with that you know it seems like this guy was embellishing and telling not a truth because it, and it was propagating a myth a myth that said that uh, the individual who is a Native American is lazy, okay? That's the myth that this guy was pushing forward through the American society. You know, he was writing for his audience. He wasn't writing the truth, okay? But the truth is, and there's a picture, uh, he, Jim Thorpe, was actually working out with everybody, and he was leading them in calisthenics, okay? He was keeping everybody going and preparing them for the Olympics, and when he got there, he did a great job, like, uh, like he did. He, he won both of those events. When he was being given his his trophies and his medals. The king of Sweden, okay, this was in Stockholm, the Olympics in Stockholm, Sweden. The king of Sweden uh, tells him, he says, you are the world's greatest athlete, and he gives him his award. And uh, Jim Thorpe, being a man of few words, he says, thanks, king. That's it, just thanks, king. <laughs> so um, I think that was pretty cool. I, I like it when uh, somebody can have a, a very... Very few, but powerful words like Jim Thorpe. So, um, you know, he did so many great things in his early career. Uh, he was a happy-go-lucky guy, pretty jolly, you know. Um, he, you know, he had one marriage, and in that marriage, uh, he, he split up with her and divorced. Then he had a second marriage, and in the second marriage, he had four boys. So he, he loved uh, having his boys, and he, he helped uh, raise them up with sports and things like that. I'm not sure he actually had any kids with his third wife, but his third wife was named Patsy, okay? And I mentioned her earlier in the program when I'm uh, in, in Jim Thorpe, uh, the town of Jim Thorpe. She was Wild Wife number three. Um, by that time in his life, he's already kind of a celebrity, and uh, they ended up living in California. During this time, he's a celebrity. He's, you know, making movies, he's in Hollywood uh, doing movies. He, did few, he appeared in 50 movies, okay? Uh, so like I said he's kind of a celebrity and his wife uh, Patsy she was kind of like a manager like a business manager for him she would book things for him and get stuff all lined up for him and well and un- unfortunately her husband kicks the bucket he has a heart attack he had, he had three heart attacks the third one's the one that killed him in uh, 1953 so um, you know she's the third wife 1953 he kicks the bucket out there in California and uh, they take him and bury him in Oklahoma His family buries him in Oklahoma. Um, Well, his wife wasn't having that. She goes and gets the sheriff over there in Oklahoma, and she was able to round up some uh, um, support through the government. Uh, She lobbied. You know, she was very businesslike, and she exhumed his body, pulled it out of the grave, and had it taken to Pennsylvania and had him buried with honors uh or very honorably you can say uh near the place that was to become his town jim thorpe okay so another thing that was going on was that there were two communities that were close to each other uh, mock chunk and east mock chunk they were deciding that they were going to combine and uh this was a ripe opportunity to rename and she said let's rename it jim thorpe and got you know a lot of support local support i'm sure you know, being that she had her connection, she was able to make that thing happen for her late husband. And uh, he is buried there. I, I got to go on the hill out just on the edge of town where his, where his uh, burial site is. Uh, they have a couple of statues there for him and pretty neat little presentation. Uh, I think it's a respectful place. So uh, they have three flags, Pennsylvania flag, the, the U.S. flag, and then they have uh, the Olympics flag right there um, in his memorial garden. So uh, anyway, sh- you know this this whole thing was a controversy. <laughs> anyway, during his time of of living, he had a controversy because even though he won those two medals, and he won them like by a mile, okay, setting all these records, he wins those medals, becomes the 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 greatest athlete in the world, and uh, a year later, the next year after those the nineteen twelve Olympics in nineteen thirteen, the uh, Olympic committee finds out that. A few years back, he had played some baseball and got paid for it. He was getting paid, it was during the summer between school seasons, and the coach knew that he was down in North Carolina playing some baseball to stay in shape uh, with some of his other uh, schoolmates, and, well, they they paid him like $2 a game, and uh, that's what he was doing during the summer, kind of like a summer job, if you want to think about it that, like, like that, but... The olympic committee they weren't having it they said no if this guy was paid then that met that makes him a professional athlete and so if he's designated as a professional athlete then he's disqualified and so they stripped his medals away you know he was down in north carolina the coach had to go into his apartment in pennsylvania and grab those grab those uh those medals that he had and trophies and put box them up and ship them back to uh, the olympic committee and then the, the olympic committee they gave them to the second place person so he had all of this controversy hanging over his head. You know, even though he was a superior athlete and won those events outright, um, the medals were stripped from him. So he had to live with that. And maybe that, I don't know if that, he was usually pretty happy-go-lucky. So it probably didn't it didn't linger on him too badly. He was like, whatever, you know, I'm just having fun. He liked it and he enjoyed sports. He enjoyed, you know, just basically doing it. So um, in, uh, in the time of his death, uh, this is 1953. So I want to end this uh, because there's just so much time in everybody's day. The the thing about the controversy about his, his uh, medals, okay? He was stripped of those medals. And that was 1913. And he passed away in 1953, 40 years later. So when he passed away in 1953, he believed uh, that he was not going to be given those medals. But... Uh, time moves on, and uh, here comes the 80s, and by this time, uh, some people got together and found out that uh, there was some, um, I guess, you know, some, some dishonesty going on in the, in the, on the part of the, the, the Olympic Committee. And this is what really burns me, is I wonder what their, what their whole deal was. Did, did they, uh, were they trying to have some kind of discrimination against this uh, Native American because uh, he surprised them? You know, because he wasn't the the, the the expected Euro person. You know, I wonder. It's a it's a weird uh, thing that that they would say, no, you're stripped of this thing. Um, and this is 1913 when they did this. Um, but they found they said, hey, well, let, let's take a look at this real closely, and let's let's actually read all the rules of the 1912 rules of the Olympics. Okay, and uh, so they asked the Olympic committee, can can you provide me a list of those rules? I want to read them oh no we don't we, we we don't can't find them you know the Olympic Committee couldn't find the rules they're like what so um, th- whoever was researching it I think uh, it was a lady she uh, she went to the Library of Congress in washington d c and looked for hours and hours and hours, maybe even days i don't know, but tried to find information on the nineteen twelve Olympics. what are the rules and because I understand that she looked so hard that she didn't find it, but then she found in the place where things were stored about that. But there's two file, two uh, shelves that were metal shelves stuck together. There was a piece of paper back there. She's like, "What's that?" She reaches, pulls it out, and it was the rules of the 1912 Olympics <laughs> on written on paper. So she had them, and uh, she, you know, w- was able to read them carefully and find out that uh, if somebody had uh, any kind of issue with the awarded uh, medals that they had 30 days to provide their issue. Uh, otherwise everything stands. And uh, so that was the reason like wait a minute, you guys get, the next year is when you decided you're gonna pull this little thing on him and pull take those take those medals away from him. And that was well beyond the uh, that was well beyond. The time frame when you could complain on that and so these medals were taken away from him illegally so it needs to be restored so uh, his medals were restored I think it was 1982 they were restored and given back to his family Um, you know but this is almost 30 years after he passed away so that's too bad but luckily or good good for them to finally come around and i don't think it was an easy fight they were thinking about no we're not going to do it but they kind of had to be threatened with a lawsuit uh, and they came around because you know this guy jim thorpe he's a hero of america he is an american he is an immigrant mutt he is from here there's a book written about him called native american son he's a native american son this guy is from here and he should be treated with all respect of anybody who is here, uh, no matter where they came from, what their immigrant status is, okay? And so, that's, that's how I feel today. How do you feel today? Um, I think there's too much nonsense out there with placing value on skin color, placing value on ethnicity, where you came from. I say bunk. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter where you came from. You know, I don't give a damn about which continental or latitudinal origin you came from. You are here. You are equal. We are all the same. We are the American mutt, okay? We are the immigrant mutt, and this guy, Jim Thorpe, is definitely that. Super a super hoss on the athletic field and um, just somebody who made a difference in our, in our whole American society uh, just because of his example. It was about his abilities. It was not about his skin color, and that's right. So I'm going to end this week's Eagle Hoss and Hound podcast with that. And I hope everybody has a great day or great week. You know, this I'm going to be getting this out later on today. Being the Veterans Day, November 11th of 2021. The very first time I started speaking on this podcast was Veterans Day of last year. So, hey, look at that. We got one year down. Let's keep moving, okay? Uh, Thank you for everybody who's listening. Thank you for your comments, and thank you for uh, being a subscriber. So please keep doing it. Take care, America. J.D. Collier with Eagle, Hoss, and Hound. In 1912 at the Olympics, as he was giving... Jim Thorpe his honors. He told Jim Thorpe, this is the king of Sweden. He said, sir, you are the greatest athlete in the world. And he was. Still hasn't been matched. James Francis Thorpe, All-American. Played football until 1929, his last game on Thanksgiving. Played for, at that time, the Chicago Cardinals in 1950 he was named the greatest football player of the half century and the greatest athlete of the half century and then in 2000 abc's wide world of sports named him the greatest athlete of the century so here i am over at his grave site and they have an amazing uh, statue of him running the football what a great guy jim thorpe here's a statue of the young man throwing discus for the 1912 Olympics these are all of his winning time and times and distances for all of the events where he won the gold in the pentathlon and the decathlon these events are ones that are done in the same day and somebody who can do that is a superhuman being obviously well, there is my puppy there is Vader that's my dog yeah you were trying to get my attention when i was doing that podcast weren't you uh-huh. I heard you out here barking. Yeah. This is Vader. Can you say hi, Vader? Roo, roo, roo. Can you say roo-roo, huh, puppy? Say roo-roo. Yes, there's my puppy. Yes. Vader's almost 16 years old. Yeah, he's he's an old boy. Work, work. Get up! The floor. Hard before! I go to work and I hit the floor! Hard work, work! Hard work, work! Hard work, work! Hard work, work! work. Hard work, Hard work, work! All right, guys, that's awesome.